Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You're listening to Getting to the Point, the business reinvention podcast from Big Small. In this series, we hear inspiring stories from those who've cut through complexity and confusion to redefine their brands and businesses. Hello. Our guest today is Tom Rainsford. In 2009, Tom cut through the complexity of the mobile phone category to launch GifGaff, taking them from inception to becoming one of the UK's most distinctive brands. And now, Tom is marketing director of Beavertown Brewery, another fast-growing challenger brand. He's a bit of a creative genius, all-round nice guy, and owner of one of the world's greatest beards. I caught up with Tom to talk big brand thinking without the bullshit, and I started by asking him about the launch of GifGaff. So I was kicking around, and someone rang me up and was like, well, you know, there's this new, essentially completely secret um, project that's going to launch, and we can't tell you anything about it, but it involves doing things differently in the world of mobile. Do you want to come in for a chat? Everyone thought it was mad. Fast forward 10 years when I exited the business, you know, the most popular mobile brand in the country, you know, endless witch awards and recommendations, huge MPS, you know, way better than, you know, its nearest competitors. Not only was there a, a natural desire for businesses to be fairer and more transparent, but the world changed. Getting to the point, what was the point of GifGaff and how did you get there? I think the, po- the point of the business was to, was to make a mobile network uh, that was mutual, fair, and simple. Mutuality, you know, um, I do something for you, you do something for me, it was always going to be at the heart of, of, of the business model. And I think, you know, it, it, you know, to use your language around getting to the point, that that is the point, right? The point of it was, you know, a, a sharing, a democratization of effort, energy for reward, and where people could be actively involved in the business decisions that their mobile network or for that matter any business because it just you know my belief was always that gift just happened to be a mobile network the model could have lend itself to, to any sector really fair mutual and simple and people being involved in in that business because ultimately we believed that you know we were David versus Goliath. There was a better way to do things. There was a fairer way to do things. And, you know, there was a bit of a spirit of kind of, you know, tiny bit leftism, a tiny bit of, you know, sort of socialism in there, but, but not really with a, with a very small P rather than a capital P on politics. So, you know, it was those, it was those things that we were trying to do. The original idea um, came from a guy called um, Gab Thompson. 2008, 2009 was the start of the last, recession you had lots of kind of mistrust and hatred of banks and bankers and the establishment going on he was in san francisco he was at a conference people were talking about kind of web slash online 2.0 uh and obama and you know hope and you know and he just thought wow this has got to be a better way to do this i think in the in the world of business i think there were lots of models that were coming very very tired you know, in 2009, Blockbuster was the number one place to get your uh, DVDs and videos from. And, you know, nowadays, think about how archaic that model was. And at the same time, you had the growth of um, social networks. This was years before Instagram and Snapchat. This is kind of, you know, post MySpace, but, um, you know, the growth of Facebook and Twitter. And that really changed the game. And the mobile sector had had it good for a very long period of time. You know, it was an industry that grew up 
extremely quickly to the point of total saturation in the UK. And no one had ever questioned a different way of doing things. And it was all about volume and base and customers and, you know, get them on a new phone and lock them in and contracts and, you know, those sort of really painful experiences of ringing your call centre for, you know, 20 minutes just a question about, you know, your bill or, you know, or, or whatever else. There, there was a feeling, which is where kind of GIFGAF came from, that it was probably a better and a different way to do this, which champions the people above and beyond the traditions and the norms. Amazing stuff. So how did Gav make it happen? So he had this one pager. Um, he sold that into O2 um, slash Telefonica, who were the parent company of O2, who were brilliant and bought it um, from an idea perspective. So you came on as a founder. What had you done previously? Where had you been? I'd worked in kind of FMCG marketing, a bit of health and beauty, a bit of pharma stuff. And then I'd gone to T-Mobile, who at the time were kind of youth focused. And I quite liked the idea of, of working in kind of a youth focused um, marketing department if you like and then um so i was kicking around and someone ran me up and was like well you know there's this new essentially completely secret um project that's going to launch and we can't tell you anything about it but it involves doing things differently in the world of mobile do you want to come in for a chat and i thought well uh as i know absolutely nothing now I might as well go in and have a conversation. <laughs> so I went in and um, I think I spent an hour talking about Gossip Girl. Love it. Um, and music and very little to do with um, mobile phones or anything else. Um, and I thought, wow, this is, this is really interesting. So, and um, it was kind of a leap of faith, really. I remember the night that we turned the website on and we were just sort of hoping that, you know, People wanted what was called at the time a sort of people-powered network that people wanted to be involved in business decisions and talking about mobile and technology and all that kind of good stuff. But at the time, we didn't, we didn't know. We knew that, you know, in automotive and the car industry forums were a big thing and online communities. But, you know, do people really want to talk about, you know, data and tariffs and all the rest of it? And it turned out the answer is yes. Um, so we set about really putting that into place, which is about, putting people first about being honest about being transparent um and about you know having a mutual relationship with people that wasn't one where the business dictates everything and you as the person paying at the bottom of the chain just pays some money and shuts up and puts up with it it's amazing how simple that sounds now but uh, what you know what a disruption that was to the industry at the time so what were the founding principles open fair mutuality and those words now seem you know a little bit like well yeah everyone says open and everyone says fair but in 2009 people just didn't like just wasn't necessarily words that people would associate associate with their brand architecture or brand purpose or whatever you want to call it everyone thought it was mad and everyone thought it would fail and you know i, I remember talking to a friend of mine who just was like that is one of the most stupid ideas i've ever heard of there's no way this is going to work and you know fast forward 10 years when I exited the business and, you know, it's continued to go on to even better things. Um, you know, it's, you know, the most popular mobile brand in the country, you know, endless witch awards and recommendations, huge MPS, you know, way better than, you know, its nearest competitors. So, you know, the, the model really works because not only was there a, a natural desire for businesses to be fairer and more transparent, but the world changed. So mutuality at the centre, that is the point. How did you take that from words into actions, living it every day? 
uh, and it would be it'd be great to hear a little bit about the name GIFGAF too. So, you know, we didn't have call centres, we did everything online, you know, the, 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 the answers to customer service or member service questions were answered by real people, you know, and we rewarded them for their participation. From a business sense, that meant that we didn't have to have, you know, retail shops and call centres online. But from a uh, brand strategy perspective, it meant that we delivered the concept of mutuality. So gift gap is an old Gaelic word that means mutual giving. There were lots of different words floating around at the time, but that was one that, you know, literally a, a guy called Glyn um, just was flicking through a, a dictionary one night and found that. And, you know, is it is it a bit of a silly name? Yeah, but so is Google. <laughs> What really worked about it is that, you know, it is the meaning of the business. You can't get away from the concept of mutuality because it's, it's above the door. And that's a really strong way to keep yourself true to that original ideology. You're listening to Getting to the Point, the podcast from Big Small. In this series, we hear stories from people who've reinvented their brands and businesses. And if you'd like to do the same, Big Small can help. To redefine your business in just 12 weeks, visit bigsmall.works. So what went right at launch and what went maybe differently from the way you were expecting? I think the first year or at least couple of years of trading was was incredibly difficult. And um, there were probably a few factors in that. I think, you know, I'm a strong believer in both emotional and rational marketing and advertising. And, and you have to be somewhere on that scale. And some brands are very rational, very functional, and some are much more emotional. Now, I think you need to tick a bit of head and heart. And I think we definitely ticked heart for a small proportion of people. And I think our problem was, you know, when it got to the head part, our pricing architecture, our pricing structure wasn't quite right. And we had a hunch about that um, before we launched, but we wanted to keep things simple. Um, and I think the proposition initially was quite difficult to understand. So I think people were sort of like, some people were like, yeah, great, let, you know, kick ass, let's, you know, screw over the big mobile networks and David versus Goliath, and I'm totally on board, but I just need to know you've got great pricing. And then they were like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't really get it. Oh, it's a bit complicated. Oh God, I've got to leave my other network. Oh, I've got my, you know, and, and it's just life moves on. So, you know, we, we, we changed some of the core proposition from a, from a pricing perspective. We simplified some of the messaging to focus much more on, on benefit in those rational moments where you're just looking to get a SIM card and stick it in your phone and it works. And I think we started to articulate the brand message after probably the first few years, and by few, I'm probably talking about maybe three or four years, in a way that actually started to emotionally make sense to people. And I think that change was around, um, uh, aren't all mobile networks awful, screw them all and we're better, to actually just talking about why we're great and not screwing anyone else, because people know. And I just think, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is my time in, you know, the hills of Vietnam or Thailand, but, you know, put love into the world and, you know, good things will happen, put negativity in and bad things will happen. So, you know, I think those 
changes actually, although they sound quite small, actually were very, very significant and meant that we could land the brand much better from a rational point of view and an emotional point of view. And rather appropriately, putting uh, good things into the world, an ice cream van just went past with this little jingle on. Uh, so I think that sums it up nicely. There you go. Perfect. So on that idea of mutuality at the centre of the business, very early on at GiftGaff, you you had a very non-traditional way of marketing, uh, which kind of fit the idea. It'd be great to hear a bit about that. And really, I mean, famously, you redefine the relationships between brands and agencies, taking a lot of kind of creative in-house. We had a couple of interesting challenges, I guess, with how we wanted to do marketing or advertising. And And the original thought was around, we won't do it at all. Um, and people just talk about us because, you know, we, we, we do, we empower them enough with our love and ideology and all the rest of it. But people will just, you know, end up talking about us and spreading word that way. So we won't do traditional advertising. And ultimately that didn't really work because if you don't tell people about you, then people don't know about you. So although it delivered against the idea of mutuality because people would do the marketing for us, it didn't necessarily get the reach that, that was needed. So then we needed to look at ways where we could still have an element of mutuality. I remember I, I was actually a creative director in advertising at the time. And you told me the story once about going into the room with a, an advertising agency planner who'd rewritten the vision for the business. And I, I just remember you telling me the story and it really, really struck a chord. Like really questioning why, why and what the relationships with, relationships with agencies are. And it feels like that could have been the start of you re-evaluating agency relationships and taking more in-house. It'd be great to hear a bit more about what, what the hell happened there. I was always very clear on what the brand represented, um, what our ideology was, how we should communicate it, what those key messages built on insight were that, that would deliver it. So I, I just remember being in a room and someone re, completely sort of re-engineered the brand architecture into really convoluted, complicated, over-the-top pillars and, you know, slides and all the rest of it. And it just it just didn't need it because the business was only a few years old at the time. Now, I understand that for very big businesses or businesses that have been around for a while, or maybe businesses that are just unclear on what role they want to play and what role they want their brand to have, they need to do that piece of work. But I was always very, very clear on it. So it just made it more complicated than it really needed to be. And I think, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. But in that instance, I just didn't think there was a lot of value of of re-engineering something. Now, why that matters above and beyond, you know, I seem to remember it being a very hot room and the green tea wasn't great and all the rest of it. But, you know, parking my, you know, small personal issues um, (laughs) was... People, real people in the real world walking down a high street in, you know, Stockport, don't give a damn about your brand, right? You know, I remember speaking at a conference, you know, at the tail end of last year, and it, you know, it was just mainly marketing people in the room. And I said, you know, do you know who, do you know uh, who is the person uh, that believes their brand is most important to them? And people were like, yeah, our, you know, key loyalty people or our high paying customers and I was like no you right because no one cares about the brand more than you and you have to understand that right 
Because once you understand that, then you can start to take it apart to actually talk to real people. And I think the more clutter and complication and all the rest of it you put in the way, um, it becomes an issue because because you just reinvent the wheel every three or four years or every time there's a new planner or ad agency or strategy person that comes in. And it just gets lost because people are too busy, you know, living their lives than paying the nuanced attention to your, you know, updated yet brilliant latest, you know, comms plan and strategy. So, you know, there really is a place for simplicity in all of this. Yeah, exactly. The last thing you want from an agency is to add more layers, um, especially especially when you've got such a strong point at the centre, the starting point. Uh, it happens so much in, in agencies, in big agency world, where an idea comes in, and that idea, you know, it could be incredibly strong strategy, but as a creative, especially, you kind of glance it and go, yeah, okay, great, but, uh, you know, grounding, but uh, I'm now going to add my magic. I'm going to add my magic on top of that. And of course, quite often businesses need that. They haven't got the idea at the center. But when you have, you know, fundamentally, when you've got truth at the center based on insight that comes in, that, that has to be seen as real magic. Uh, for creatives and agencies you go well that that means i can now go and play yeah solid idea that no one can argue with you know the heart of the business like now now we can go and use our skills to do what we're best at which is grabbing attention and driving home that point and it's it's actually it's it feels so obvious but um but so often in in big agencies advertising and comms turns into kind of shiny wrapping paper and you know, the not invented here syndrome comes into play and you're kind of reinventing every time. And it's about the prettiest ad and the most innovative. But actually, you can do all of that if you have a, if you're conveying a truth, if you have an idea at the center of the business and then you make the prettiest and most innovative ads, then you're really onto something. That's, that's not just a good ad. Um, and of course, you know, I know there's balance between, to strike between kind of disrupting and hammering home the point of your brand. But you know, to your point, no one on the street cares about your brand. And, you know, there was that study a few years ago um, that people wouldn't care if 74% of brands disappeared. So, you know, you've got to grab attention. But more importantly, you have to have a point. And if you've got a strong point, then you can stand out and you can go and disrupt. I think you're right. And I think there's, there's some definite challenges to the concept of disruption or um breaking the status quo and I think a lot of that is there's just a general level of conservatism and I mean that both with a capital C and a small c in businesses um, and particularly client side and I think too often there's a desire not to um, rock the boat I think you know there's some fundamental you know if we take a step back and fundamentally ask well what is this business doing why are we doing it? How are we doing it? And to whom and when, right? Really start to ask those fundamental questions rather than get yourself in some sort of, you know, every, you know, every September we do brand planning. So we just brand plan in September, you know. It's just, I don't know, like, you know, if you, if you, if you want to challenge, then challenge. So when it comes to that challenging behaviour, do you think that big gift gaff at the beginning, because um, you were part of Telefonica, that that gave you more permission to kind of go out there and take risks? No, I, th I think regardless, I think 
the, the whole ideology of the brand was one around disrupt, positive disruption. Well, first of all, it was disruption and then it became positive disruption because disruption is just like, I can go and throw a brick through the window of Matt West to show how much I hate the bank, but um, ultimately what purpose is that going to serve? Whereas being positively disruptive and trying to construct something or, you know, the new banking apps or whatever, there's a positive disruption to the traditional banking system, more so than throwing a brick through a window. Um, so I think it always had that permission because it was always built into the ideology of the brand. So regardless of who owned it, um, it gave, we, it was always at the heart of the business. But having said that, what Telefonica and, you know, and, the, and, and senior stakeholders that were involved always understood that. And, you know, even to the point where I left, there was always a, mutual understanding of the role that the brand was there to play and that's why it could be successful so you know they they understood that and allowed it it wasn't necessarily because of them but they did give that um uh allowance breadth opening you know whatever you want to call it from for that business and that brand to be able to act in the way that it did because they bought into the concept of why it existed in the first place and actually, that's really, really important because I think particularly when you look at startup culture and particularly when um, startups begin to get bought by, you know, bigger brands or bigger groups or whatever, it's like, yeah, we kind of like this 80% of what you do. And can you get rid of that 20% or here's 50%? And we were thinking then you could adopt our 50%. And it's like, well, yeah, OK, sometimes that does work, but sometimes it doesn't, right? Because essentially everything that you're shaving off is ultimately what made that business or that brand good in the first place, you know? Um, so there really is, you know, there's a bit of quid pro quo about it all. I yeah, think. don't lose the special source. So as brand director, marketing director, you know, the brand lead and essentially champion of the brand, I know you've personally taken on a lot of responsibility and probably a lot of pressure, I'd imagine, um, with the fact that you, you know, you were brand director, CD and and actually video director as well. Video director is a strange term. Um, you were the director of a lot of um, of gift gaff ads. Do you think it's important to to do all of that to lead from the front and take it all on? I um, am. <laughs> I mean, pressure, yes. Stress, yes. Um, I, my fundamental belief, you know, in this in this question is, as a brand owner as a person that is paid by that brand and that business you must have the um a level of responsibility for the brand equity that you're building and that is everything from an email that goes out to a tv ad to an event you put on to the product that people you know use drink eat whatever and I just don't think that you can fully outsource responsibility for the delivery of that brand. Now, I do think that that doesn't mean that the model that we had at GifGaf is the ultimate model or that it was perfect. And, you know, if you lifted and shifted that and put it into another business, it probably wouldn't work. It was bespokely made because of the people that were there and the business challenge that we had and, and the market and the market conditions. But I still believe that whatever model you use, be that traditional, non-traditional, whatever, in-house, out-of-house, you know, somewhere in the middle, um, 
you still need to have as the brand owner or owners ultimate responsibility um, for everything that that brand does. And you can't just say, well, yeah, of course I do because I'm the person that writes the briefs or yeah, of course I do because, you know, I'm the head of brand or a marketing director or whatever else, right? You have to get in the mix. You have to get your hands there. You have to understand the process because otherwise, how can you be responsible for all of it, you know? Um, so there, there is an element of, of, of leading from the front. I do think that, you know, good leadership is a balance between leading from the front and the demonstration of the behaviours and approaches that you want. And I think it's a demonstration of, of supporting from the back and letting other people lead. But it is a balance between those two things. And I think a lot of that is around the talent that you have around you. You know, it's like every football team, right? You know, Pep Guardiola has... I'm not comparing myself to Pep Guardiola. <laughs> let me be very clear about that. Um, I don't have enough nice uh, um, jumpers. Um, you know, you've got to construct that team, right? Because otherwise you're just a guy standing on the sideline shouting. I was just going to ask you that exact point, actually. So how do you pick that team around you, you know, or, or those you collaborate with, that get the point, the idea at the centre, and are ready to kind of jump on and go big with it? I was very lucky in, you know, working with amazing people, at GIFGAF, both internally, so that, you know, the team that worked on the brand or the whole business or the leadership team there, but also the people that we work with externally. You know, I, I never, you know, the whole model wasn't like, right, we will do everything and we will mix the sound and we will, you know, we do the grade and, you know, let's go and, you know, go and, you know, we do the edit and we go and talk about lights. And, you know, it's never that. Like, you know, the, the greatest failure that a brand can make or, or, or anyone else is to think they've got all the answers, right? No one has all the answers. We have to work with other people to construct the answer, but we have to have the um, uh, opportunity to be able to construct the answer in a way that was right. And at GIFGAP, it was about, you know, taking some of that creativity in-house. So now on to keeping things simple, making life easy for yourself. We have a, we actually have a philosophy or a mantra uh, that's be yourself, it's easier. And of course, that's a personal thing. You know, the reason we quit big agencies and started our business in truth. But it also applies to brands. You know, be the brand that you were born to be in the world and everything gets easy. So when it comes to brands specifically, would you agree that when you find that point at the centre, everything flows from there? you know, the point at the centre, a strong team, that then allows you the opportunity to go out and play from there. Being yourself, finding who you were born to be as a brand, it just makes everything so easy. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think the challenge is, you know, what we, what we were lucky with um, from a gift gap perspective is we constructed that centre. So we knew what it was, you know, and I was there and I felt it and saw it and, you know, wrote it with other people so you know so therefore carrying that forward you know i kind of got to the point where five six seven years in i just felt like i you know my role in part was to just keep reminding people what why that was there and particularly when you grow internally from you know 14 people to 60 to 100 to 120 to 200 whatever you have to remind people you know um of that of that original starting point that that center of everything 
the challenge is for brands that don't have it that try to construct it because you know it needs to be a part of the tapestry it's your core reason to exist in the world and if it's you know not true or it's not um uh you know you can't feel it and it's not a rational thing it's about a feeling thing then it's very hard to galvanize people behind that thing and go right let's go and march over the hill um so that 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 does make it more difficult it doesn't mean that it's not it's not possible i, I think it is but it has to be true and it has to be felt beyond um just the marketing department or the marketing department and the ad agency and pr agency or whatever else you know i believe in you know there's this right hand left hand marketing thing and too often you see um a great looking tv ad that delivers some values and then i don't know you go into store use a product or whatever and it's different and then you know there's a, there's a tension there so the two hands the left and the right hand have to go together and that's really, really important because, again, going back to our point that people are really busy, if, if it's too complicated or it doesn't make sense or whatever, they're just going to ignore it. Like, you just move on. So it's really important to have those, to have that centerpiece that is very true um, and clear and understood um, throughout. And also, I guess, lastly, is your internal culture also has to deliver and be felt inside and out of whatever that you know core sort of purpose ideology whatever it is you know the, the culture at gift gaff was one which was very mutual right because if it isn't then you're not living the values right if it's really top down and it's really you know dogmatic then how does how does that make any sense right but it's amazing how often that does that does happen when you you know you could be sitting in a room when you know a rebrand is a marketing rebrand essentially you could be sitting in a room being presented to by your agency finalizing the details on the rebrand and there could be some of the most important people in the company you know in the room surrounding you in your building who have absolutely no idea what's happening or agree with it or are on board you've just you've just got to take everyone with you you know avoiding that kind of not invented here syndrome is actually very easy when you take kind of the business leaders from across the across the business and you take them on the journey with you and you know the thing is you know no if you've got that strong idea at the center and it is the the point of you what you know you were born as a brand you were born to do then no one's going to disagree either so there's no risk there either you know you find a strong idea at the center and take everyone with you and you're winning but i guess i guess that there are issues with that of course it, as as brands get bigger as Gifgaf did, you know, huge growth. How do you how do you keep people, you know, on that point and and going in the same direction, in the right direction? You 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 have to keep reminding people, right? And you almost have to get to the point where we believe this, this, and this. And if you don't, don't work for this business, right? You really have to be really, really clear on it. Because ultimately, if you're just getting people that are just like, well, I'll just dip a toe in and we can just do a bit of this, or I like that last campaign, hopefully I get to work on another one like that, and da, 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 or this is good for my CV, this is a brand that is good for my CV, I'll do it for a couple of years and I'll leave. They're not the people that are going to build the legacy of your brand and brand equity. They're the people that just, you know, it, it, there's no mutuality there, right? Oh, well, you know, you're paying me to do something, I turn up, well, yeah, of course, right? That's the basics. That is the 
absolute basics. If you get to the point of talking about pay, you failed, right? On top of that should be uh, your desire and your passion that this brand, this ideology, you know, aligns to you personally and that that is demonstrated in the work that you do and you have an engagement level, not a satisfaction, but an engagement level, which is above and beyond just pay and rations. And I, and I think that's really, really important. There's a, there's a great book called The Advantage. And in it, it basically says, all businesses have good strategies, good marketing, good sales, good technology, um, you know, good production, whatever else, right? But the advantage actually is minimal politics, clarity and focus um feedback um you know a, a, a democracy and point you know that, that everyone feels involved uh low turnover of top talent high levels of engagement and minimal confusion right and actually you think oh well hang on now that is interesting because those things actually go far deeper than just having a team who are gr a great technologists you know we can all hire great people, but unless you've got the passion, the belief, the, you know, a way to foster top talent, you know, recognition, low levels of um, politics, high engagement, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to succeed. So um, that construct is as important as anything else. And that is built around your, inter your internal interpretation of the brand purpose ideology whatever i suddenly got a bit ranty there and took a more serious <laughs> tone of voice <laughs> oh, i loved it It was very good i was nodding along there's just absolute you know common sense if you've got people working for you who who know the deal they've got they get the point of the brand and they're being themselves they're passionate about that you know you're going to get better work and it's as simple as that so now maybe we could talk a little bit about going big. So you've got that strong idea at the center and then with advertising comms and uh, marketing, telling the world, shouting about it. We touched a little bit on this earlier on, but could we talk a little bit more about, you know, having a strong idea at the center and how that allows you to be able to go out and play? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, Gifgaf said um, no contract in 10 different ways across 10 different years, you know, and that could be, Big versus small. That could that could be about flying. That could be about what whatever, right? But ultimately, it just delivered a, a, a no contract message. But because that was at the heart of the proposition, and it ticked both the rational mind and the emotional mind, right? Rational being, yeah, actually, I'm coming out to the end of my contract. It'd be great to ditch this and not be tied in again. And the emotional aspect of that, that being, like, yeah, screw these people. They've tied me in for so long, and you know, now I can be free and do whatever I want to do. Um, which almost is a primal screen quote, I think. Um, um, you know, you're, you're ticking, you're ticking both those things. So yeah, you can you can play with anything. You know, as 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 you know, we did you know um, a campaign based around you know poetry. We did Halloween stuff. We did you know um, people walking through iconic you know movie scenes. You know that all denoted freedom. Um, you know, like Spartacus or you know um, Shawshank Redemption. You know, so so there's loads of ways that you can you can bring it to life. You know, it's like it's you know, um, it's like a love song, right? You know, it doesn't. There's a million different ways to write a love song, um, and it's the same. You know, as long as you've got that that solid ground, you can pivot in, in whatever way. 
and you know done well where people um understand the brand then you can push it in different directions you know we can do something with a you know a, a, a young kid um on tv with a dad walking through movie stuff and then in october that year for halloween we can scare the shit out of people in the cinema you know and you've got that liberty and that and that breadth and, and i think modern brands can um construct worlds where people if we're all in we're all in this together will understand and give you um the opportunity to do that it doesn't just always have to be you know a stuffed animal in a man yeah so before i was uh before I started Big Small, I um I actually won the Money Supermarket pitch at uh, Engine WCRS, and I was really proud of the of the winning idea. Get money calm and money supermarket. Um, I don't do that justice in any way, shape, or form. Um, Matt Berry does it far better than me. But the but that you know the the core idea that we had, I'm really really pleased with. But the execution, I'm not going to lie, we had we had some issues with. And you know now to see the latest ad that's come out, you know I don't mind saying it's it's really good. Um, and and it's and it's got there. Um, and as far as saliences and cut through and kind of and doing all the jobs that it needs to do, it's doing it. And it just kind of makes me think, you know, te- execution is temporary, but the big idea at the centre, that is the thing that matters. And, you know, for, for me, um, it, it makes me proud to know that that's going to kind of hopefully run and run. Um, and, you know, and not just in executions, that is um, that was a brand uh, defining kind of idea in which they shifted, you know, the, the way that they approached everything. So idea at the center again uh execution is temporary but big idea at the center yeah i i, th- I think you're 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 spot on and i think the, the interesting point you need to touch on there is like first of all not everything's going to work so let's accept that right and actually you know it, it's okay to get stuff wrong let's hope you get it right more than you get it wrong but stuff will not work and that's fine but also to have a commitment to something and i think too often often dictated by marketing directors coming in and going out every three years, um, the wheel gets continuously reinvented. And people, you've got to tell people things seven, eight times before they even begin to listen, right? You know, not understand it, not do something, but listen. So if you have one campaign a year, well, that's seven years. I mean, it's oversimplifying it. But, you know, so you do need, you do need to have that commitment but commitment in business to see something through again and again and again, especially if it fails a couple of times, is thin on the ground. You know, it's too quickly. Oh, well, I didn't want to stick in a bin and let's reinvent it, reinvent it. We do a rebrand. You know, maybe it's a message as far as some agencies, you know, maybe, you know, X person leaves internally or whatever, right? Like you've got to have a level of commitment to see it through. And, and you know, in a very transient, uncommittable world that, you know, that there's a tricky balance in that. So going beyond ads and executions, living living the brand every day, it, it feels like GiftGaff was obviously born born that way, really, you know, the way that you were acting. But how did that kind of manifest itself every day? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it was always it was always baked within within the core business that we wanted to involve, you know, what we at the time or GiftGaff core members, you know, uh, customers, if you like. And they were, they, they were always baked into the model, be it, them helping out with customer service or getting rewarded for getting more members to join but also just little things like you know we we always had an uh you know we ha- always had a 
Christmas, you know, get together with them. We invited them into the office that, you know, when the whole world of, you know, UX and usability testing really, you know, took off from 2009 onwards, you know, we got them in to do some UX and, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can involve people in. And, but, but what's important is it's not tokenism. You're not just sort of going, you know, why don't you tell us what you think the next flavor should be? We're actually making it, but you're also thanking people for their participation right you know and in that essence you know there was a scheme called payback you know payback you know over 10 million pounds in 10 years to members for getting involved you know and some people just did it for the love and some people lent you know towards the monetary incentive to do it and that's fine right that's life people you know do things for different reasons but you've got to always give people an opportunity but it always was a part of the brand so it was never a sort of add-on um and I think that that meant that it was always able to, um, we were always able to have people participating in a way that seemed authentic. So when it comes to the relationship between big and small, do you think it's going to be more common that big holding companies you know, create spin-offs in the same way that um, Telefonica did with GiftGaff? Do you think that's going to become more common? Um, I think it's, I, I think it, you know, if you look at, you know, even the mobile network, um, uh, the mobile market, you know, there's loads of smaller brands that have, you know, shot up, owned by, you know, the, the bigger boys. So I think I think that makes sense. Um, the the question for me in this is, what's your motivation for doing it, and how authentic are you actually being for your reason to do it? And if it's just to make more money or to take a proportion of the market that you weren't taking and you just put on some different clothes and do a different dance, but ultimately underneath the engine is exactly the same shit, then you're not going to work because you're insulting the intelligence of the consumer, right? And eventually they're going to see that, right? So you might mop up a little bit, but you're ultimately not going to win. So I think as long as people are doing it, you know, I, I, entrepreneurialism, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, wicked. Great. You know, small, successful businesses will always be bought by bigger ones. That's just how capitalism works. So, you know, um, yes, I do, I do think that more businesses will do that. But for me, it's always a fundamental question of why. And that you see that through the line. It's not just, you know, a different type of, you know, it's like, oh, we, we need to be youth, so let's get some cool, you know, good-looking people on a TV ad. It's just completely, you know, lacking authenticity. And these days, of course, consumers are just going to see straight through that. So let's talk Beavertown. So you've not been there long, but uh, you've done a lot in, in the time. We've had Spurs collaborations, launching new beers, lockdown pubs. How's, how's it all going over there? Yeah, it's great. So I, I joined in, in September and I think, you know, what's amazing about Beavertown is, you know, the uh, iconic artwork, you know, the cans are just, you know, incredible um, standout and story and sort of, you know, iconography and characters and fantastic, you know, tasting product. You know, I was a fan of the brand before, you know, I started working there. You know, I, I went to the new, I'm a Spurs supporter, and I went to the opening in the new stadium. And I was in the tap room, the, the brewery in the tap room that's within the stadium, um, which in itself is pioneering, you know, how entrepreneurial is, um, in, uh, entrepreneurial is that, right? 
Um, and Beaver Town are based in Tottenham, for those people that don't know. So there's a, you know, a local aspect to that. There's a relationship there. And I just thought, you know, God, I love this brand. Wouldn't it be interesting to, like, you know, strike up a conversation with them? And I did. And, you know, we kind of went from there. So, yeah, we've done all types of things. You know, at the start of the year, we did what's called One of Our Own, which was a collaboration with Spurs that you can only get at the stadium. You know, it's a beer made for Spurs supporters to celebrate and drink while watching um, while watching Spurs play. We will park all comments from football for the time being, although we did win last night. Um, you know, we've done, um, we've launched Nanobot, um, which is a low ABV product, which is a really interesting market that's, you know, massively taking off. We did uh, a product called Staycation, which is all celebrating, you know, the fact that we're all staying here. And we came up with the idea in lockdown. We brewed it in lockdown. We launched it in lockdown. We sold out of it in lockdown. You know, and we've done, you know, all types of stuff like, you know, particularly more recently with online content um, and sort of different editorial themes within our social channels to just bring that brand to life. So, you know, it's been an incredible sort of, I don't even know, I can't quite do the math, but kind of like eight, 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 nine months. Um, it's a brand that's really growing. It's an ex- extremely competitive market. You know, our competitors, you know, uh, are growing at, you know, phenomenal rates themselves. So it's, you know, it's it's lively. It keeps you on your toes. And I think there's such huge opportunities to the, to deliver the brand in interesting, authentic and engaging ways. So, you know, in 10 years of building a brand from zero members to lots and lots and lots um, and taking a business from being 14 people into, you know, however many they've got now, you know, over 200 or something, I don't quite know. Um, every single day you learn something new, um, I think there's certain uh, experiences that you can um, mirror. I think there's certain things that you go, okay, well, the last time I did this, this was a result. So let's not turn left, let's turn right. I think there's just things that you just learn, don't you? You just build up a, a repertoire of um, knowledge and brand and, and, and application. But, you know, the world's, you know, changes. You know, social media is hugely different than it was when we launched Gift Gap in 2009, and it's hugely different than it was two or three years ago. Those platforms change, you know, almost every six months in regards to how they're used and, and you know, how you communicate through them. The change of, you know, in the world of PR, uh, the change of media and consumption of media. And I think, you know, we're, we're, you know, I've never been scared of, you know, all media channels are a plain canvas for you to put something on. The TV is just a box that sits in the corner of the room, Outdoors is the big thing that's next to a road or a bus or whatever. You know, they're just you're just plain canvases. Like, do something great and try and do something interesting in those. Um, so you know, that, those ideologies and the ideology we t- we touched on earlier around collaboration and ownership and responsibility. You know, those those things are sort of core to me, regardless of you know who I work for and where I am. So you know, it's going to be a fun experience to you know, grow the brand and deliver it in, you know, engaging in interesting ways. So getting to the point personally now, a few personal values, are you, uh, do you, uh, does, you know, be yourself, it's easier? Is that something that you're doing? Yeah, I think the, the being yourself thing, I think, I think it's interesting because I think, you know, when I'm sure you've had conversations like this, but there's a version of you at home, there's a version of you that's with your mates, there's a version of you that, you know, goes to the football or goes to running club. There's a version of you at work. And I think because of how we work now, 
no more true than you know the fact that we've seen the insides of everyone's houses on Zoom for you know since March to you know July. Um, is they're all really muddled together now. They're all really blurry, right? And you know, and comms platforms like WhatsApp, right? I reckon I probably get more WhatsApp messages than I do emails, right? Now that becomes suddenly really interesting because well what's what's work and what isn't and where are the boundaries and where are they not and you have to be quite proactive in how you want to set those out um but being yourself you still you know i think naturally we still sort of tailor ourselves a little bit to the environment and who we're with you know and people do that to to different degrees and you know when when i think about you know am i my truest sense um Am I myself in my truest sense all the time? Yeah, I have been sometimes at work and it's been a catastrophe and sometimes it's been brilliant, right? And some of that depends on who's in the room and, and what we're talking about. Some people want to hear it straight and some people don't, you know? So you have to sort of have a little bit of ebb and flow, you know, in your skill set, um, you know? And I think historically my sort of, you know, one way is my way um, sometimes works. And sometimes doesn't. And again, you know, you, you've got to balance that and feel that out against culture, brand, uh, the market, and, and what you're trying to achieve. And I, I think that's the, you know, that's a modern skill set of, you know, leaders and, and people in businesses. So getting to the point personally, do, do you think you've, I suppose, the Spurs collaboration surely as a as a Tottenham fan that must that must be fairly close, right? The Spurs collaboration was amazing. I mean, it's a family club. You know, I remember it was, you know, my uncle, one of my first memories ever was my uncle saying to me, you will support the people in white. You know, I, I, I talked, you know, Louis, my son, who's eight months old, pre-birth, we were having chats about the football, you know, and Spurs. So to, so to do a beer with them, to brew it in the new stadium, to be at that new stadium when we launched it. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff, pretty life affirming, you know. I, I'm, I'm fortunately or unfortunately someone that's never entirely satisfied. Um, and I will always push further and, and push harder. And there's pros to that. And undoubtedly, there's cons to that. So without wanting to sound a bit X factory, I do think that, you know, your point is somewhat of a journey. And equally, at the point where you get to the point, that point may move. Um, you know, so I think there's there's a there's an ebb and a flow to this. And I think, you know, that adaptability and understanding that what might have been what you wanted at one stage might not now be the case. I think it's just a part of how we take a healthy and constructive approach to life and work, really, without wanting to get too deep. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, I always thought that my tombstone might might read, died trying to do good things, uh, but not knowing what those things are. And, you know, maybe, maybe just the list of things just runs off the edge. Yeah, ex- well, exactly. I mean, it... It's funny, actually, because um, someone turned around to me um, nearish my time, time at the end of Gifka, um, this great person called Ruth, and she said to me, um, oh, you must be really proud of what you've achieved here. I sort of paused and looked around and thought, oh, I've never really thought about it, <laughs> right? Because you've just always like, right, okay, we've delivered that campaign. What next? Okay, well, we need to do this and then that. And I, I've just never thought about it. I've never taken a moment to sort of think, oh, yeah, actually, this is pretty good, you know? 
Um, and I don't know if I have since, but I just thought it, it really stayed with me. Actually, it was you know a sort of a sort of corridor conversation. You know, one morning, and you know, I think I think it's it's an interesting challenge. I think for everyone to sort of take that moment to take stock, really. Um, and I know you know we're all you know if you if you believe Instagram from lockdown, we're obviously all doing yoga and learning French and you know becoming potters. But you know, may, maybe taking that moment every now and again might actually be might actually be a good idea. So on that personal level, you know, trying new things. Um, as I know you're a man that does. So there must be some, you know, like this podcast, for example. That I know there must be some imposter syndrome that sneaks in. Well, I'm well. Well, I mean, it's you know, when when you know when I directed David Bradley in a in a music um, video promo, and you're thinking this dude was in you know Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, and you know, yeah, Game of, of Thrones. Know, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, imposter syndrome really can you know creep in but i just <laughs> i just parked it i just put it to the left and just jump in so yeah i was going to ask you about that so as a director in your own right is it jack savaretti's video youth and love is is it the track yeah with mika i actually have uh, some love uh, and a story about jack savaretti as well actually he he um i have a uh, an alpine um ski clothing brand um of all things and uh and he was he was nice enough uh to to sport and to wear one on uh on tv loads and on stage which i thought was amazing because you know on stage that's going to be hot but yeah what a nice man for doing so but yeah but directing david bradley that must have really been something yeah yeah it was it was amazing and, and i mean it was um it was you know the the track is really upbeat. You know it's 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 a sort of you know good solid summer pop track. You know, um, and the record company wanted a sort wanted the you know dance video to to sort of go with it, but they wanted to do it with a twist, which is where David Bradley came into it. So um, you know we're we're getting a guy in his seventies essentially to dance you know solidly bit of rehearsal the day before and then solidly the next day and he was incredible like um really motivated really positive would always try like you couldn't hope to work for someone better and from a directing point of view feedback was taken openly constructively it was a conversation um it was about the work and creating the work and making the end product as good as it can be and but nuts to um, to direct, you know, that guy from the Red Wedding. For anyone who hasn't seen it, get on YouTube um, and watch it. I love, I love the bit where he's he's dancing and he stops and he looks in the mirror and he clocks himself as a very old man and just goes, "Do you know what? Fuck it!" And then just jumps back into dancing that's again. That's my favorite. That's my favorite bit. That's my favorite bit. That's oh, a beautiful moment. Right. So we have indeed got to the point. Tom Rainsford, one last point, please. When it comes to inventing or reinventing a brand, what is the one thing you should do? Have a clear reason why you're doing it. Um, and that idea should be above the concept of making more money or getting more customers. You must add value to the world. And that doesn't mean social purpose stuff and you know all the rest of it, if it is cool maybe it's just a level of creativity maybe it's just disrupting a market that needs to be disruptive maybe it's delivering something an end product that people love and will evangelize about it but you need that why 
and that why needs to be really solid and i would argue needs to be built on insight and needs to be you know there's enough land to fill in the world so have a really really clear why you're doing it love it tom it's been an absolute pleasure uh pleasure. thank you so much um we, we have to get into the, yeah. the pub soon and yeah. Um, cool. yeah, and get more pointy over a neck oil nice one all right mate look after yourself see you soon if you'd like to get to the point of your business big small can help visit bigsmall.works and redefine your business in 12 weeks next time we'll be talking to kerry taylor of mtv so tune into that one but in the meantime be yourself it's easier